Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. I love that kind of music. I just love, I just absolutely love the, the, the musicians that the Lord has brought to the Rock Community Church. It just, I like all kinds of music. Yeah, thanks. How are you? See, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who likes all kinds of music, but I'll tell you the kind that I'm praying for the most. I want us to have a gospel choir. It is my deepest belief, my desire to have just a rocking gospel choir up here. Um, maybe, maybe the Lord will allow us to see that one day. Maybe uh, we'll see. But I just love the music of our church, but I love you guys more. I just love you so much. I think that last, last Sunday, uh, having the privilege of spending Easter with you, was the finest, um, that was the finest Easter I've ever had in my life. I, I, I can't put it into words. Maybe you didn't feel it, but I did from the very soul, very depth of my soul. I, I almost could feel like I could touch it last week. It was just uh, such a wonderful feeling to be here with you and to have that, that time together. Um, as I mentioned last week, uh, for those of you that visited with us in our back, for us, Easter is every week. Um, we believe in the risen Savior as clearly as we know how. We believe that every day is a, a resurrection day for us. Every day is, is the knowledge that our Savior is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we celebrate Easter as much as we can all the time, just not purely on Easter Sunday here. And the reason we do is, is found in the message that Peter has given. We're in Acts chapter 2. Would you mind turning with me there? I have a couple announcements I need to make. So I ask your forgiveness if you please would bear with me while I do this. Uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock in your bulletin is uh, directions to our church site. We're this close, I hear, of getting in. We're, um, we're close. Um, we're going to ask you to do um, as we've asked you to do every week, and that is to please call up. If we, if we aren't able to tell you for certain today, which we are not as far as I know, that we'll be there next week. Would you please at least call uh, uh, the office or look at the website and see where you'll be? We'll post it the moment we know for certain. But today what we would like to do at 2 o'clock is dedicate our church. And so we'd love for you all to be there. We're going to have a ribbon cutting and all of that stuff that you do. It won't take long. Um, the whole program, the whole process might take 15 minutes. And after we do that, then we're going to open up the doors and you can walk into the sanctuary the carpet's down, the, the chairs are there, the place is painted. It is ready for church. It is ready. And so um, we'd love for you to go and see it. You can see the children's department. You can just walk through the facility. It's, it's really quite nice. And so today, if you would, at 2 o'clock, and I'd love for us to start promptly. It looks like the Lord's given us nice weather, uh, that we'll have a, a, a short service out there the, to pray over the place and have you pray with us uh, as we Ask God to bless uh, that building, uh, our church. Uh, the next thing I do want to mention is that on, on um, May the 11th, let me make sure the date is, is right. Yeah, Thursday, May the 11th, gentlemen, we're having uh, our first annual Ironman golf tournament at the Green River uh, Golf Course over off the 91 freeway. And uh, we really encourage you to come. It's only three weeks away. Uh, if you've not signed up and you're kind of vacillating. We'd love for you to come. Um, we're going to have a, a, a day of golf and afterwards dinner. 
and we're going to have a short testimony. And uh, if you have a friend that maybe doesn't go to church, and, and this could be a way of kind of encouraging him, him to be a, a part of something we do, because as a men's ministry, we're going to have conferences. We're going to do retreats. We're also going to have couples, uh, conferences and retreats. We're going to do things as families. Uh, but we just would love for you to get involved. Men, we have a... Uh, um, we have what we call uh, um, small groups. We meet. Um, they're studying First and Second Peter. We also have a, a breakfast every Wednesday morning at the Lakeview Cafe. Uh, men, we'd love to have you be involved and be a part of what God is doing in and through our church. And so on Thursday, May the 11th, there will be a golf tournament at the Green River Country Club, Green River Golf Course, and um, it should be a great time. Now, that's, uh, I think, everything that I was supposed to say. Um, no, that was it. Let's, let's, uh, let me just read with you. Um, in Acts chapter 2, may I review with you just a second for my own benefit, really, not for yours. I'm sure you'll remember. Peter now is announcing that the last days have occurred. The last days are upon them. Now, to the Jewish mindset, let me just share with you, they understood what that meant. That meant that the Messianic times had come. What they had missed, and we can't, we can't belittle them about this, they had missed that it's going to be in two phases, that he is going to come once and have to die for the sin and raise from the dead so that he could die for our sins, and he's also going to come again, and when he comes again, then he will set up his kingdom. And so that was misunderstood. As, as Peter explains... In his message today, he explains that what they were looking forward to, thinking that David was that promise, wasn't David at all. And so I'll show you that today. What Peter does is what any good preacher will do. Peter confirms everything that he is saying about the Messiah and these messianic times by using the word of God. First, as we saw two weeks ago, out of Joel, the second chapter, I think about the 16th through the 21st verse, someone like that. Um, yeah, that's about right. He, he said, listen, what you are seeing, what you are hearing, this speaking in tongues of a language that, that is your language, that all of a sudden you can hear us speak clearly in your own dialect about the wonderful deeds of God, that was prophesied by Joel. So don't think it different. This was an ushering end of the end times. In other words, what we know today was the beginning of the church age. The end times, as far as we understand it now, that they didn't, was the time that Jesus Christ would come the first time, and then the end times would be from that point until he comes again, however long that will be, and that is called the end times we also know it today as called the church age, the age in which we now live, to present to the world in which we live the gospel so that they might understand, the world does, what we have fallen in love with concerning our Savior. And so Peter's message is pure and simple. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so as to solidify in their minds that the very one who was there with them was the Messiah that ushered in these the end times. So Peter confirms what he is about to say through Joel and through David. In this message and today, what Peter is going to quote is out of Psalms 16 and Psalms 110. And he's going to clarify what they thought was that 
Psalm 16 talked about David. Peter's going to say, no, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the coming Messiah. Here, I'll show it to you. Let me just read it with you, just one verse, so that we can kind of, when we read through it, it'll make some sense. He says in verse 29, Brethren, may I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. In other words, he's not the one we were looking forward to. Look at verse 34. It was, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but it was he who said, the Lord should say to my Lord, sit at my right hand, I'll make my enemies. We'll read about this in a moment. And so what Peter is doing is he's correcting some incorrect, incorrect doctrine. And he is sharing with them what they should know out of the book of, uh, from the book of Psalms concerning the Messiah. Remember, when we study this, what he is doing is establishing the church. As we're going to see in the weeks to come, 3,000 people and then 5,000 people all come to Christ and they establish the church. And what we are going to see is what does that church look like? Because it is extremely important that we today in these end times, in this the church age, build our church upon the foundation that Peter started. We're to emulate what he is doing. And so when we see Peter, which is good for us because we've taken this stance as a church, when we see Peter give a message and verify what he is saying by the Old Testament prophets, we find that we're doing right when we do it that way. Because what we are saying is not so important as what is being said in here. And that's what Peter is explaining, showing, demonstrating to the people when he speaks to them. Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. I hope that made some sense. I'm going to re- I'm going to retrace myself a little bit, a couple of steps backward, but just for our benefit, merely just for mine, maybe not yours. Let's look at verse 21 and let's read all the way through verse 36. It says in verse 21, as we've already studied in a couple of times, Peter says, It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He then says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested or proven to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope because thou will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, may I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, 
and knew that God had swore to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he neither neither abandoned to Hades, nor did he allow his flesh to suffer decay. I misread that. Nor did his flesh suffer decay. 32. This Jesus God raised again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but David himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, therefore, he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. This past week, I was supposed to go to Sacramento and and speak for a friend of mine at his uh, men's retreat, and it got canceled. And so I had a free day Friday. You know, I was supposed to fly up there and speak Friday night and Saturday and come back and then, and then be here for church Saturday and Sunday. So I had a free day Friday. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. What I did was study ahead. And that was kind of uh, good and yet it's not so good because I cannot wait now to start talking about next week. <laughs> That's not good. I want to talk about this week, but I want you to note something. When Peter... When Peter gave this message, using Joel and King David as his examples, giving him the verification of what they said, that the Messiah had come, when he gave this message, they were so moved by it that verse 37 says this. Read with me. And this is for next week, though, but watch. When they heard this, in other words, when they heard what Peter preached, they were pierced to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, What shall we do? As you're going to see next week, please forgive me. I won't do this long. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about it. As you're going to see next week, the answer to that question is is critical. Critical to your faith and my faith. The answer to that question is critical to the body of Christ. What they asked was being pierced to their hearts. You know why they were pierced to their hearts? Because they realized, as we're going to see today, they realized that they had a hand in, in killing the Messiah. They had a hand in it. And that, that pierced them to their hearts. And they must have thought, holy, holy Samoli, what, what chance do we have here? What hope do we have? What, what, what should we do? And what Peter is going to teach is what everybody ought to know. Is that is... We all as believers have another chance. We all have a chance. It's not the end. Um, I'm so far ahead of myself. The end is, is not just that we have sinned. We have the ability for forgiveness now that the Messiah lived and died and raised from the dead. And so that is what Peter is going to explain. But what he is going to explain, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, is what the church must be established upon. So that we don't make mistakes when we do this thing called church in this age in which we live. It's critical. It was critical to Peter. It was critical to the next generation. It's critical to every generation. 
And so what we will do is try with all of our hearts to see what is said in here so that we can set a standard for church that you will feel comfortable when you come to church knowing that we are not trying to manipulate you or try to to fool you into what church truly should be. Enough of that. I've already read. Let's pray. Let me get in the message. I'm way out in no man's land. I wonder if you even... Never mind. Let me me pray. Father, please forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Um, I know it's in my mind, but sometimes I have a hard time expressing it. So, Father, forgive me if I confuse the issue. Let Let us concentrate on what is for today. It's sufficient that we understand what you've taught today through Peter. I pray, Father, with all of my heart, as I just didn't do, that now you would move me aside. Let me not be seen. Let me not try to make sense of things that you make sense of. Let me just cling to what you have to say. And so, Father, open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, so that we might have the greatest privilege that is given to a person, and that is to behold wonderful things from your word, so that we might have the opportunity to to know that we're hearing from you rather than somebody's ideas or some speaker's thoughts. Open up our eyes. Open up our minds. Open up our hearts, dear Lord, so that we might hear from you. And so I ask you, move me aside, Father, for that one single purpose. Now, Father, would you bless this time we have together? Thank you again for the people in this church for last Easter Sunday and for today. Bless us, Father, please. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am so wordy today. You can have trouble with me, I think. (laughs) To make sure, Peter, to make sure that the resurrection was true, to make sure that what they just experienced was of God, Peter did not rely upon his authority, his storytelling to verify what he is saying. I've said to you over and over again, I am more convinced now than ever before that it must be everything that we must teach from the pulpit or any classes we have must come from the Word of God. And what Peter does is he confirms what he is saying by using Old Testament prophets, Joel and David. Now we today, we have the privilege of using Peter as an example. We now have the, the text that is complete. So we can, we can verify what we're saying out of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. But Peter used Joel and David to make confirm what he was about to say. Ever since, ever since God intervened with man, he came to a, a, a man by the name of Abram. Later he changed his name to Abraham. He came to Abraham and he promised that he was going to bless Abraham and his seed throughout the nation. In Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the 12th chapter, the first, the second, and the third verse, God says to Abraham, let me read it to you. If you want to turn there, you can. In Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country. Go forth from your relatives. Go forth from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He says in verse 2, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing on this earth. He says in verse 3, To the people, he said, To those who bless you, 
I will bless. I really misread that. I'm having a rough day. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you, I will curse, God said to Abram. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The purpose of Abram, the purpose of moving away, was to start a nation that would be a blessing to all mankind. Because out of that nation would be the seed of God. Now, Paul, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul explains what and who that seed is when he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise that God says, I will bless you. I will bless all the nations. Anyone that blesses you, I will bless. Anyone that curses you, I will curse. So Paul says, Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And then Paul says, he does not say, speaking of God, God does not say, and to seeds as referring to many. In other words, he's not He's not speaking to seeds, plural. He says, I will bless your seed. And so Paul says he refers to one as to your seed. And that is what? Who? Christ. So Paul nails it. Paul brings it down. Scripture explains scripture. When you're ever in doubt, find scripture to explain what is being said in other places. And so of the Abrahamic covenant... Paul gives us uh, the the message. The message is God's going to bless the nations through a seed, and that seed is Christ. Now, to the Jewish person, they longed for the seed of Abraham, meaning the Messiah, believing that the Messiah would come and make all wrongs right. The Messiah would come and lead Israel to victory over their enemies. The Messiah would come and usher in the blessings of his promised kingdom. When Peter announced through the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verses 16 to 21, that the last days begun, they knew that that meant that the messianic times had begun. What they didn't understand was there was a separation, as I've already explained to you, between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. And we are now in that period called the last age or the last time or the last days. It is called the church age. And that wonderful beginning was news that shocked them. Reason being is that startling claim that if this was the last days, if this was truly the messianic times, then, of course, the Messiah had come. And if the Messiah had come, if Jesus was truly, as he said he was, their Messiah, then they had just seen their Messiah be put to to death. And what Peter did was tell them, not only did you see it, you were part and parcel a part of it. You did it, he said. And that is precisely what Peter wanted everyone to realize. To know that the Messiah was none other, as he says in verse 22, Jesus the Nazarene. He nails it. This is who the Messiah is. And he's proven to you and me through miracles, through signs, through wonders, and through the resurrection. Verses 22 to 24. Here's what Peter did. Any good preacher will do. Any good church will do. 
You and I need to know first and foremost that we're not okay. We need to know that we are sinners. That is a, that is a prerequisite to being saved. You need to know that you need to be saved from something. And that's what God did. Peter kind of tweaked them into the, the idea, you mean to say we? We had a part in, in executing the Messiah? Look what he says in verse 22, 3, and 4. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, he was attested, in other words, proven to you by God because of the miracles he did, the wonders he did, the signs that he did, which God performed through him in your midst. And then he says, just as you know. In other words, this is no secret. You need to know something, folks. In that time, every one of them at least either saw what Jesus did or heard about it first or at most secondhand. They knew what was going on. They personally saw or heard about it. So he says in verse 23, This man, in other words, talking about Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross. And when he said you, he was speaking to the Jewish people that were listening to him there. But he didn't just convict them, but he says you put, you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men. And if there were any Gentiles there listening in, he was saying, both of you are guilty. You, the Jew, are guilty. And godless men, every Jew would know he was talking about the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles were considered by the Jews a people without God. They did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so they were godless. They were godless people. And so what, what Peter does beautifully is he convicts everybody in his audience to know they had a part in nailing Jesus Christ. Christ to the, to the cross, and he says at the end of verse 23, you put him to death. But, he says, and here's what every church stands upon, God raised him up again. That's the resurrection. He put an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held by it, death's power. And as we learned last week, talked a little bit about it, we too now are not held by death's power when we come to know Christ. But that's not part of the message of what he's saying right now. What he's trying to do is to convict them of what they did, nailing the Savior to the cross. They were all guilty. Any good preacher, any good church will not let his people walk away saying, you're okay, don't worry. Don't worry, you're fine. No, a church will do what it's supposed to do and say, you're not fine, you need a Savior. You need him desperately. You have no hope without a Savior. That's what Peter did. That's why in verse 37, they were pierced. I went to next week. That's why... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why in 37 <laughs> sorry that's why in verse 37 they said pierced to the heart they said what should we do what, where's our hope well let's get back to this if that's true if the premise is true I really should say since it's true then less than two months ago they witnessed the execution of Jesus Christ for claiming to be the Messiah and now and now Those who followed after him are making the same claims that he made. And to the Jewish mind, there could be no greater expression of blasphemy to say that you were God, as as Jesus said. On the other hand, there could be no greater tragedy than to realize that you perhaps had a hand in putting the Messiah to death. Remember... Peter blamed the death upon all of them in verse 23. As Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned. 
Every single one of us here have fallen short of the glory of God. We need, desperately need, a Savior. Now, Peter does what every good preacher ought to do, and that is he quotes Scripture to verify his point. By the way, I want to, this is a rabbit trail a little bit. I'm going to remember my place right here. I want you to know that, that topical teaching is not bad. I, I know I, I go overboard on line on line, line on line. But when, a, but it, I mean, every great preacher I've ever known, um, my friends and, and, and guys that can really preach, they preach topically as well as line upon line. It's, it's not wrong to teach topically. But you better understand scripture to teach topically. Because just to throw out any verse from anywhere to try to verify your point, uh-uh. You need to know what you're saying when you teach topically. When you teach word upon word, line upon line, it's easy to follow and see if the guy is making any mistakes. And that's why I think a real, a real church will, from the pulpit, I will teach topically from time to time. We'll do a, we'll do a series on marriage. We'll do different things. But you, you better know that you're using the word of God to verify what you're saying. But what Peter does here is he quotes scripture. He quotes scripture to verify his point. And in verses 25 to 36, he quotes now David. Before he did Joel, now he's doing David. And he's saying how David says God would not allow the coming Messiah to undergo decay. How God called his son Lord, saying to him, the Lord said to my Lord. Peter uses these thoughts in making his point of Jesus being the Messiah. The, the prophecy of David. Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. You don't have to turn there. You know why? Because he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, in verses 25, 26, and 28 here in the book of Acts. But what Peter says is David, even though you think so, people, not you people, those that were there in, in Jerusalem, even though you think David was speaking of himself, he was not. He was talking about the Messiah because he says in verse 29, he's not speaking of himself because I want to say to you confidently regarding our patriarch David, he died and he was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. I, there are many that believe and commentators think that, that, that uh, Peter must have been standing right near Mount Zion where, Peter was, where David was buried and pointed over there. Look, we can see his tomb. He's... He's dead and, and, and decayed. He is not the one that he is speaking of there in Psalms 16. Because his tomb is right there before their eyes. Peter's point is this. Since David is dead, decayed and buried, they're thinking that David would be the coming Messiah, proved by the presence of his tomb right before his eyes in Mount Zion, that he couldn't have been referring to himself. David had to be speaking and writing about the coming Messiah, the end times that they are now experiencing. That made sense to them because it pierced them to their hearts that they realize it's not David, it is Christ. It was Jesus Christ who is the one that we should have been looking for. Because God would not allow his son to decay they saw him go to the cross, and as, as Peter says, you witnessed that he rose from the dead. He would not allow his son to de- go to decay, and he would not abandon his son to Hades or death. And they all knew that happened. Verse 32, look at verse 32. He says to them, this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. Look at verse 33, therefore... 
having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's back to to chapter 2, verses uh, 16 to 21, when they all prophesied. He said the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth. This you both saw and you heard. In other words, they saw what took place on the day of Pentecost. They saw that these guys were speaking in language that they all understood, talking about the mighty deeds of God. And so he is bringing them down. He is bringing them to this place where they're, they're all of a sudden seeing this one called Jesus, whom we neglected, was the Messiah. He was the one we should have been hoping for. And we missed him. And so Peter, to kind of further his point in verses 34 and 35, talks about the authority that has been given to Jesus Christ. That he is, look, verse 34, it wasn't David who ascended to heaven, but David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I'm going to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. They understood that. That meant that Jesus Christ, if he is the Messiah, is going to take authority over everything. And anyone who opposed him, all of a sudden, he has authority over their lives, over their death. Therefore, Peter makes this conclusion. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's marvelous. He says in verse 36, Therefore, let you all realize this, all of the house of Israel. But now we're talking to us here today. Know this for certain, Peter says. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's when they say, pierced to their hearts, what are we going to do? What can we do? If he's truly the Messiah, we had a hand in putting them to death. What in the world can we do? That's next week, but... Sufficient that we understand this about this week. Peter tells them what they are to do. That's going to come. He's going to tell them how to build a church. That's going to come. You and me, we ought to listen to what Peter says. In the, in the verses that are following and the chapters that are following, Peter sets the standard for what a church ought to be like. And by the grace of God, we are going to do exactly as Peter passed down to us. We are going to build that church upon this church, upon that foundation that Peter is representing. And it is none other than Jesus Christ. We're not going to do anything different than that. And we're going to build it upon his word. And that's what a church ought to do. All the other things that a church does, the programs for the youth, the programs for the adults, the golfing tournaments, all of those things are just... They're just things to do to to bring us closer together as a family. But what really a church ought to do is what we do here every Sunday. And that is to teach the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, so that you and I become followers of this one called Jesus Christ and understand and know Him so well that we will not be shaken when difficulties come our way or when trials come our way. But let me share with you something that I think is missing today. It's missing, I think, from pulpits. I think it's missing from, from those that preach the Word of God. And this is, I don't want you to miss it. When Peter says in verse 36, Therefore, I want you to know something for certain. Here's what I want you to know for certain, he says. This one Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, He's not only just your Savior, He is also who? Your Lord. 
that has been missing within the family of God lately in our churches. The understanding that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Sometimes we have a we have a misconception of that. You know, if He's truly your Lord, then any of us who say no to Him, then is He really your Lord? If He is truly our Lord, we have no right to tell Him no. Now, how do I? What do I mean by that? Now I become a meddler, and I don't want to do this, but I want to share with you what I believe the Bible is teaching us. I'll bet you every single one of us here in this room have heard God's voice at one time or another asking you to do something, and you say, I don't have enough time. I don't have, I don't have the finances right now, Lord. I can't do this. Um, I don't have the ability. I, I just... I mean, call someone else. I'm not smart enough to do what you're asking me to do. You need to know that you're missing God's blessing. If God has called you to do something, whatever it is, if He's convicted you of a sin, if He's done something in your heart this morning, to think that you have to have the time to do it, to think that you have to have the resources to do it, to think that you have to have the intelligence to do it, you're misunderstanding what God does. If God has called you or me to do something, He will supply us with the time. He'll supply us with the energy, the finances, and He'll supply us with the, the ability. I believe with all my heart. I, I try to wonder, I try to reason, why am I doing what I do? I mean, Diane, you know me probably better than anyone here in this room. Why would God call me to pastor a church? I know of few people less qualified than me. I know a few people um, less smarter than me. I know a few people that can give more excuses than me. But I think I'm the poster child. I really do. I think I'm the one that's on the poster going, you know? <laughs> I think people look at me and say, my God, if he could do it, maybe I can do it. Not preach, not necessarily preach, whatever it is that the Lord is saying to you. What he is calling you to do, if he truly is both your Lord and your Savior, you cannot accept him just as Savior without accepting him as Lord. And if he's asking you to do something, it's for your good. He is calling you to do something that He will supply the time, the effort. He will supply it all. All He needs for you to be is a part of it. Be willing to do. Now, this is where I think I manipulate, and I don't want to. I mean, it would be easy for me to say, now, you know, we all need to serve the Lord here. Well, that's what I want us to do. But not so that we'll... I want you to serve the Lord here so you'll get the blessings. You will get the blessings. Any of us that serve the Lord will tell you it's like overwhelming the blessings that the Lord will bring our way. And He supplies the intelligence. He supplies the ability. He he gives it all if He's called you. I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to quit a few minutes early today. What I want to do is I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I don't want to manipulate. This would be an easy service to do that. I don't want to do that. What I want you to do is to just consider what is it that you know the Lord has been saying to you. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you know fully well you should get rid of. You know it. 
I'll share you another thing about sin. We're all sinners. That's the one thing we all have in common. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And no matter what you do for the rest of your life, you will be a sinner. You will fall into sin. I, I, it boggles my mind. I've heard people say, I've accepted the Lord and I've not sinned anymore. I just don't believe them. I think they just sin by lying, personally. <laughs> we all sin. But I'll say this to you. If you have sin in your life and you deal with it, and every time you sin, you deal with it right away, I promise you this, by the grace of God, it is experienced in my life, I find that my sin has gotten further and further apart. That I don't sin as frequently as I used to when I was younger in the Lord. I used to say, ah, I'll just do it and I'll confess it later. That was one of my theories of Christianity. Real bad. Because... I wasn't, I wasn't getting better, but I found though, when I confronted my sin and confessed it right away, it just made a, a, it made, it made it easier for me to not to do it the next time. That's just for you to think about. If there are any of you here that have sin in your life and the Lord's convicted you of, I, I beg of you, deal with it. And deal with it instantly. Don't let sin, sin linger. If God has called you to something and you don't feel you have the ability nor you feel you have the time, I'm not pushing you to do what you, what you feel that you cannot do at this time. But I'm saying to you, if He is Lord, and He is, and He is your Savior, and I hope He is, then if He's called you to do something, He'll supply you with the ability. He'll supply you with all that you need to do it. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Uh-uh. No, no. Everything I've ever done in, in my faith has been, at points, difficult. Because Satan, the moment you start to have any kind of success or the moment you start to do something for the Lord, boy, Satan just doesn't like that a lot. And he'll, he'll try to disrupt you and try to discourage you from doing what you know you ought to do. It won't be easy. But I promise you, it will be a blessing. Now, I hope I see you all at 2 o'clock. Um, that we have a great time of dedicating our building to the Lord. And I'm, I'm just going to say to you, if you want to stay here and pray, you do so. Um, I'm going to close in prayer in a minute. And if you want to not, and you want to just walk away and, and maybe let the Lord deal with your heart today, that's great too. But I would encourage you to consider this one that Jesus Christ, that you know, He is your Lord. And not too many churches are preaching on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If He's truly our Lord, and we ought not say no to him. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for Peter. Uh, thank you for the message you placed on his heart that we can kind of see what he was trying to say and how he's trying to move the people. And boy, he moved them, Father, through you. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Following days, 5,000 more, and, and the church began. And then Peter shows us through you how we are to build our church. And we'll do the best we can trying to emulate that. We'll do the best we can, Father, on copying what a, church, a true church ought to look like. Bottom line, Father, we know this. Our church is built upon your Son. He is the rock-solid foundation of our church. And His Word and your Word is, is the very essence of what we'll build this church upon. Help us, Father, to do it correctly. Help us not to make any mistakes that might hurt or, or uh, 
harm anyone, any, any place. May we be uh, faithful to that. Now, Father, bless us as we go from here. Um, use this day, Father, for your glory in and through our lives. May we consider you our Lord as well as our Savior. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all from the bottom of my heart. For those who want to stay, please do. Um, for those of you that go, just go and have a great day. And see you too.